0: It's like asking an artist when is the artist going to be like just an artist and not an artist that is actually doing these 10 other side things to make money to still be the artist? Welcome to New York. Hello, Todd. How are you, Thomas? It's been 20 five years almost more could be a while since the last time that we saw each other 96 90 I don't know 99 I don't know it's been a long time hello everyone and welcome to
1: a another episode of the design exchange with me today is Todd signs he has many monikers and he does many activities in the fields of video and um, visual creative stuff and time-based creative stuff so hope we can get into some of that journey and process today Thanks for being with us, Todd. Happy to be here. I first became aware of you because of Elemental back uh, when I was, in, I was in high school. Um, my friend Aaron Shin was involved with Elemental, and he let us know when some of the events were happening, and uh, we checked him out. I think the first one I went to was in some Ohio State University garage or faculty building or you know, some kind of weird location you wouldn't necessarily expect for an underground music event.
0: but there it was. Yeah, it's been a while since we've known each other. I think, uh, you know, the party or event you uh, mentioned was with Aaron Shin at this event we just called Elemental. And it was, I think, May 21st, 93, which would make it over 26 years ago, which is...
1: I don't think I went to those first ones, probably. Okay,
0: if it was at OSU... uh, weird building there was only two and it was either in May or in I believe June uh, or maybe July one of the two I basically I used some kind of like you know Jedi mind trick on Ohio State University to essentially have a student use a space for an art installation of sorts and the first time we used a parking garage and basically just said we're going to like have video installation which we did and music which we did and performances which we sort of did not it was more like dj performances as opposed to like live instrumentation but we had enough people show up for the first one had diesel boy come in from Pittsburgh. Um, he was probably like, you know, just about to break is becoming one of the premier drum and bass DJs in the United States. And then we basically kind of strengthened a relationship with some friends in Detroit. And that was with my friend, John Santos, another designer, art director, creator. And, Brian Gillespie, who ran a label called Throw, and Paris the Mac, or Paris the Black Foo from the Detroit Grand bars, and basically brought all of them, like, their whole scene, which was sim- similar to our scene in Columbus, brought them to Columbus and then had, like, 900 people as opposed to, like, 100 people at the first event. And it was... It gave us kind of like a huge amount of wind in our sail to like basically keep doing it. The problem for me is that I was the one kind of responsible for the rental or the like the borrowing of the space for the night. And the cops came. There was an accident in the front, which caused a lot of disturbance with a car from a professor getting in an accident. So they basically shut the party down around five thirty in the morning, but for all intents and purposes, we were basically done already. So that kind of like kept me interested, but because I had to then do like a hundred plus hours of community service to basically satisfy the damages done to the building, I kind of pulled out of it and tried to focus more on smaller things like live performances. So Um, It made elemental was definitely like kind of the foundation of a lot of this stuff for many of us. Um, I don't think I really learned that much while I was in school, like at both high school and Ohio state for college. But I did get exposed to things that were just really pushing me to like do some more internal like exploration. I think I'm, intuitive and DIY to a fault. Like I don't often read manuals. I don't have the attention span for like watching YouTube tutorials or whatever. I just kind of like bash my head against the wall until I figure it out and figure out and figure out. And that's both been, I think like a good and bad thing about, you know, the methods of working. Some people come in and they've done all the research and like read every single book there is on a subject before they, step their foot in the water. And I'm much more of like a dive in head first off the high dive and hope that I don't, you know, die in the process or save enough air to come back up because I can definitely kind of go down the rabbit hole on almost everything I do, whether it's film or music or anything in between. Like so much of what I do has been through intuition. I think that started not just in college, but actually before high school, I was like had access to our, you know, middle school Apple II GS and basically it was using mouse paint to basically do like the first CG stuff or computer graphics stuff in our like area in Ohio. And that was like 85, 86. And I didn't really know that computers are going to be such a big part of everyone's lives. Back then I just thought it's a thing to do this other stuff. So I just kept using it, but I had always been interested in like design and like art. I didn't really know there were names for these things or what the separation was between art and design. And I just kind of absorbed it all. So while I was in college, I had a lot of side interest in architecture was obsessively like buying books about architecture, people like Tom Maine and morphosis and, like Michael Beirut of two by four. And they did a magazine called architecture, New York, ANY is like this large format magazine that I used to buy. And also being, I was employed by the Wexner center, both as a student and after I graduated and they had a bookstore that basically exposed me to a lot of architecture design interior design art and video artists from Bill Viola and, You know, Ann Hamilton was a local, so she had a lot of, I guess, local kind of stature that made it exciting to stay in Columbus while I was there because you saw people in your own backyard doing things that were kind of cool. So for a while, I was intent on, like, making Columbus be, like, where I needed to just do everything. I got married, bought a house, and after, like, two and a half, three years, started to think that maybe this isn't all of what there is to see in the world i admitted i've not really been outside the country more than twice until like 2000 and it was very limited you know going to like germany netherlands austria isn't exactly seeing the world it's seeing like another kind of similar i think longitude line just you know on the other side of the atlantic but it wasn't really Um, I think as eye-opening is like going to other parts of the world or experiencing, you know, people with different economic backgrounds or cultural backgrounds, it was very similar in that regard, but I'm going way off topic. so.
1: (laughs) So one thing that's really interesting about you is not only are you into different kinds of creative fields but then within each of those fields you also are doing multiple things like uh when it comes to electronic music you are writing electronic music um also uh, uh, like you've had punk bands or right. you know industrial music and right. you uh do live performances you do djing so you're kind of covering a lot of sp- the spectrum that you might that one could cover within like electronic music and then it seems that also within visual design you're also experimenting with a lot of different fields um installations videos i assume some graphic design definitely photography right yeah um is there kind of a common thread for you that pulls these different activities together
0: um i would say that I'm trying to seek some kind of internal solace, like, or like a almost a zen aspect in the creative side of things. When I'm doing photography, I'm trying to kind of take us out of the world we're in, but then still have it be very much you know a physical thing that you can see so i'm not just doing like a there's some people just do all cg kind of work and they're trying to just create worlds that you've never seen i want to like just kind of tweak the world we're in and also reframe it and recontextualize it in a way that makes us like see that there's beauty even in like you know the the recycling facility two blocks away that has, a. I look at it and I just see like possibilities and it's basically like a dirty warehouse with tons of scrap paper. And I look at, it and I'm like, that would be so amazing to do something in that building. I still have like that drive. And so that in very many ways, I'm like always seeking a, an opportunity or possibility in almost anything. Like I see a pile of concrete blocks and wonder what, can be created from that or how can I utilize materials in a way that could turn into something that we're not currently experiencing right now? How do we like try to have a different impact on the environment and not just like destroy it, but just slightly augment it. And that in many ways is how I think I approach like so many things and it comes to sound. I'm not really like a say cut up collage artist. I don't really go around and mine samples or do field recordings all that much. but I do have like a the very rigorous like DIY build as much of it as you can, try to eschew like using as many preconceived notions about what is prescribed by say like a manufacturer of hardware or synthesizers or whatever. Like, I have been, I think, tapping those kind of things as far as creative process is concerned for since, like, the 80s. And, you know, I did start out without really any knowledge. You know, the first thing I did was play drums in a punk band and realized my timing was not all that great. Took up the bass, took up the guitar, bought synthesizers, started to find my way, develop an internal sense of rhythm having taken zero classes for any of that stuff. The only thing I really took a class for was like a sound synthesis. And, you know, my instructor was so out of touch at the time. He basically just was much more interested in like C sound and digital sound exploration and not about like continuing to take these older methods and move them into the 21st century. He was very much like this stuff is not going to, have another you know life it's just gonna kind of end and i think that i look at all the different aspects of like how we make sound and try to incorporate parts of them i people would say like are you an analog purist or whatever and that would be the same thing with like taking camera or taking photos with camera like i still use analog film not nearly as much as i used to but i digital is a means of like instant like gratification but there's a permanence that's lost when you know i can go through a box of photos and just dig through photos but if i try to do that on my computer i'm like what hard drive is that on like did i save it on this is there a master archive does the interface still work do we still have a firewire connection like stuff like that that you just start to lose sight of like your like what you've done over 20 30 years and i definitely know that you've been doing it as long as I have in many ways. So you probably have a collection of things and it's part digital, part physical analog. And it's hard to, I guess, represent all those things at once. Like I want to go through all my old photos and just like scan and clean up and represent it because I feel like there were still good ideas that I did back then. Same thing with audio recordings, like making them not just disappear. Like I, there's a tendency, I think once people get to a certain point that they just like start accumulating and then just dumping tons of stuff. And I think there's been some great things that were done in many people's like early explorations of whatever they do. And I think some of those early sketches are sometimes better than the ones that they do when they spend like months refining, like this great idea when sometimes like the blunt approach is sometimes the best approach and not you know, the one that's been meticulously crafted over, you know, hours and hours and hours of like rehashing, like, you know, in many ways, I'm like the opposite of I think Jeff Koons, who as a visual artist, constantly goes back and tweaks and tweaks and tweaks like all of his, like sculptures and materials, like in his work, because he thinks he can continue to improve things to the point where It doesn't even look like a human hand has touched it because it's so, like, manufactured. And I think that either I've allowed myself to be okay with, like, the blemishes, but, you know, there's not a thing in this room that doesn't have a nick or a scratch or some kind of issue, whether the cat tore up the couch or there's a nick on the countertop or whatever, like, chip in the glass of the, the coffee table, like, and you... It's like the scars and someone like, you know, scar on my forehead, my hands look like they've been through a meat grinder at times due to the amount of bike accidents or whatever. So I think you have to kind of like appreciate those as part of, you know, development over time. And I think that Blemishes can be the character that makes it authentic as opposed to just like, you know, if it's just a complete, you know, platonic solid. It has no real character if it's just you're making a cube and there's no nothing that distinguishes it from like the I guess a virtual environment then why do we bother doing I think that it's the reflection of like the outside world and influences like the weathering of things over time that makes you know what you know makes work
1: interesting there's a lot of effort in video games to make stuff look worn because oh, yeah. it's easy to make perfect shiny surfaces, right? Yeah. But uh, if you look at anybody's portfolio of work, you know, if they made a gun, okay, yeah. there's scratches, there's yeah. rust or whatever, because you're trying desperately to humanize this sy- essentially synthetic creations, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, I my first job, real job in like 93 was working on a video game for a... Uh, very long like forgotten development platform called 3do and basically we worked on making these walls that were basically textures that i photographed and would like go around and like take pictures of railway cars and getting all the rust spots and using those things as like walls inside like a a warehouse kind of thing and it basically that's what made things look more interesting was not like just, you know, perfectly generated CG environment, but ones that had like some kind of like mysteriousness or noir aspect to it. And I think that carries through with music. You know, you had mentioned a ton of stuff about music and I'm like going off on one side, but yes, I've definitely brought, I think a lot of different aspects of, say when I pick up a guitar or a drum set or clarinet or whatever, I try to like figure out how I can use it without even necessarily doing all of the work that is required to like properly play it. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. I guess the Suzuki method is based on that. I can usually hear things and figure out the note and I'm not tone deaf, but I'm just not pitch perfect either. So that, like, I can tell, like, when things are on or off when I'm working with another artist as well as myself. And I do try to push that. But I think that those kind of, like, things of, like, pushing yourself, committing things. I do a lot of analog tape recording. Like, all of our stuff now is, like, 100% tape. There is no digital in the recording process aside from reverbs and stuff. And that makes you kind of like be more open to chance and like, you know, we're going to do this one take. And if that doesn't work, we're going to do another take. And if that doesn't work, we're going to do another take. And then we're going to either run out of tape or start recording the other ones or starting to accept the things that we did at the beginning saying maybe that first take is actually the best one. And then just living with the kind of, you know, blemishes. Is your process for your current setup? of
1: analog music, analog modular synthesis right. music generation uh, at any point in that, like in the mastering, does it end up going
0: digital? Um, it's only not even in the mastering. It's literally, we have four or five tape machines, uh, eight track, which is the main for everything. we, have a 16 track that I'm starting to work on. And then basically two quarter inch two tracks that are the mastering decks and the mastering deck then gets taken to the mastering facility. And I watch him like basically thread the tape and it goes through his processing equipment I've asked him to be 100% analog with approach. He doesn't use any digital time delays that I'm aware of and basically it goes straight to the cutter head from so it makes the mastering engineer have to like kind of go through some hoops cuz he's jumping quickly. When you're cutting a record, you don't have like a lot of time to like prepare so he basically has to like set up two thing, two compressors or EQs. I mean track 1 is first track which uses one set of like parameters and then the next track might go through the other setup and he basically just has to quickly while he's going from like the lead out of one and the lead into the other make all those adjustments and go to the second track so it's definitely a challenge when doing like a longer record because if we want to do like six tracks per side he's got to be like trying to make most of our stuff be close to each other and that definitely causes issues in terms of like if you record say six tracks on one day and they're all like in a row that's good but if you record one track one day and another track another day and another track like a month after that and then you forget. Well, the levels are here; were one level, and levels on this were different. Or the base is too hot in here, and we might need to bring it down. Those get compromised when not using like a digital method, because you then have to basically start accepting that he can only do so many things at once, and it, that can maybe make the overall output maybe less precise than the one that is the mastering engineer gets to just loop through like one song repeatedly until they get it hundred percent right. I'm willing to like accept the B and I still think like the grade B is probably in many ways better than some people's a game, you know, work because I think that we make up for any of those changes in dynamics with the robustness of like having the depth of like having tape, Kind of glue the stuff together in a way that I think is gets brittle when you're doing a complete digital mix and a like even if it's passed through tape like it helps, but I do think that people you know mostly don't have like mixing boards; they have this like a in the box kind of approach they're doing all this bus mixing in logic or live or whatever, and then they just do everything through like one channel strip. And then that's kind of how they finish a lot of their material. They just, ev- everything goes to the same kind of input Whereas, like, I have to maybe look at like, I can only use one of these. So I'm going to make like vocals beyond that. And then I only have one type of reverb for this one thing. So this other instrument's going to get that. And it makes my collection grow, but some people have like thousands of plugins and I only have a couple dozen effects to be used. So I have to like use them creatively and not have every song sound the same. And I think that we've tried at least with the different projects we're doing, whether it's bands or solo stuff to basically really push that, <clears throat> that sound in a way that is different than where I've been with you know, digital recording. I had been doing like all digital stuff in the early 2000s and just got really bored, like bored of it very quickly. I was like, I really missed having a knob for practically every function. So it's, this has taken a long time to get going, but it's finally manifested (laughs) 20 years later. I think it's,
1: if you look at all, all the people who are making um, music these days, especially, within the realm of electronic music. You say, okay, what percentage are going for an all-analog setup? It's got to be very small, like half a percent or something.
0: Probably. I mean, (laughs) I kind of spent a lot of time in the early 90s never having multi-tracked anything. And we basically started doing stuff on reel-to-reel and then dat. And like the dat recordings were kind of a hit or miss like you either got or you didn't and then if you didn't you just kind of redo it and you would never be able to repeat it because like there wasn't automation for everything that we were doing so i basically just had to kind of deal with it like that mix is good that second mix is better use the second mix and i didn't have two dap machines so i would often like just put all of the masters onto like one tape and sometimes the label would not pick all those songs so you know, instance with Peace Frog is I basically gave them masters of everything because I didn't have a method of copying it before I gave it to them. And they've been sitting on like masters for, you know, 20 years now. And I basically just this like last August got copies of demo tapes that I gave to somebody as a backup, not knowing that I gave it to him. And he surprised me, my friend Ian from Vancouver gave me a cassette, actually three cassettes. And it was like, my first demos from like 93 to 95. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like incredible. that I never thought I'd see this stuff again. But at the time, like I wasn't having this like analog digital argument. It was all about just like, how do I record this stuff as best as possible? And I was told very early on that like, well, you got to have a dat. Like tape is not going to mean it. But when I've gone back to try and play back the dats, like literally one out of five tapes plays. And every analog tape I play sounds like it did back then. You know, there might have been a slightly like muddying up of things, but it's barely been an issue. But the DATs have almost always failed because... So if they get a little bit of corruption, then yeah, then there's nothing. Exactly. And there's like dirt on the heads or like Sony doesn't like Casio DATs or... Casio DATs, like the recordings on a Casio machine we're not like compliant with like a task cam or something. So I've definitely gone through a lot of issues with the whole like method of whoever recorded it on and it had to kind of stay in the same ecosystem. So if you did Sony, you would just keep playing on Sony stuff. But this Panasonic, you know, it was supposed to be like the main studio deck eight, like four out of five tapes. And it's just, I just had to stop playing. Like I can't risk Ruining more material if I keep trying to just review the material without having like a proper deck that's going to do it without corruption. So, yeah. Cool. Making modules, shipping modules. Her going to dinner with her friend. Me working on music, finally. I've not really had much time. I've been... I mean, another segue, I guess, is just I've spent a lot of time seeing how DIY can be and building a lot of the synthesizers often from like just bare PCBs and not even following kits, but just buying all the components and stockpiling resistors and capacitors and building SMD stuff. So I could probably build something like an audio recorder at this point, given my knowledge of building tiny SMD Components. What's an SMD? Uh, surface mount entry that's basically used in everything from cell phones and cameras and computers. But it's allowed for the music side of things to basically have what used to be in a room be in the size of like a phone. So right now you can buy a analog synth that's the size of like a phone. That basically has all the robustness of what you would have in a larger, say, mini Moog style keyboard, but it's basically within a three by five inch footprint. And that's made touring and playing live and being more remote with your abilities to basically go outside of your normal comfort zone and Work So I basically have like a a modular. It can be battery powered and I also have solar bank as well. And some things I want to do is to try and maybe get outside of the whole studio at times, but still take the studio with me. And I think that by building my own stuff, I've been able to like figure out the right kind of recipe of modules. I need to basically still have like a robust system without you know, being tethered to everything that's inside. And I've spent so much time building this room, but I can't take it with me at all times. So when we do tours or shows or whatever, I try to keep as much of, like, the flexibility and the modular has been a a door to that. And I think that by making your own stuff, you start to figure out, like, you know, how you can fix things that are broken or also kind of inspires ideas for maybe there's a way I can make my own stamp. You know, I've thought about like a line of modules that could be really geared towards like performance. There's so many people that are making it, but I feel a lot of buyers feel like the modular industry is kind of flatlined, like where it's just, there's been such a enormous growth and now it's like everybody has access to all the same things and now the manufacturers like the bigger manufacturers are catching up and dipping their feet into the water, Behringer's threatening to basically build these $50 modules that rival like what would cost $500 from Roland or whatever. So that has allowed the democratization of music reach places that weren't available before. So now there's music coming out of other places around the world that's not just, like, you know, the key markets, like, where people are building synthesizers in, you know, China and Thailand and, like, the Eastern Bloc, or like, or former Eastern Bloc, like, people in Latvia are building synths. People in Moscow Russia are doing synths that you just never would have expected them to ever, like get outside the walls of the country and now like they're becoming like you know I think really strong contenders with people that are doing music to like be aware of more than what's just like you know shoved down their throats over the last 40 years so I think that that makes me still inspired to do music to make stuff to come up with ideas about like how things to be pushed, like what's good for performance, what's good for recording, all those things that go into it. So I've built a bunch of modules over the last couple of years and starting to get really good at figuring out how to identify issues, make them better, tweak, etc. So and it gives me a lot of satisfaction. It doesn't like make the music get done any faster, unfortunately. It slows me down tremendously. But on the other hand, like I can say that like there's a large amount of what I've done that I've been building directly by myself and not having to like hire other manufacturers to do all this stuff for me. And I, I feel, you know, some people pick up model trains <laughs> and I sense been like this passion that stuck with me since like I was 17. So. When you make some creative piece, Maybe we're talking about music,
1: so maybe we'll start with that as the, uh, the focal point. But if it applies to other stuff, let me know. Um, how much of what you do is composed or planned versus how much of it is expressive and performed?
0: The creative process is, you know, a certain amount of synthesis where your brain is. And then there's like... The performance, I think, where your hands start to, like, tweak or modify that or sculpt it. So whether it's a block of wood being chiseled into, like, you know, human form or otherwise, or a block of stone or granite or blank canvas or an empty reel of tape or a sequencer that has nothing in it, like in many ways, like, you start with a You know, I've had this song that I'm going to write in my head, and it's been inspired by a different song, by a different artist, but then I'm like, I'm going to shift it so far away from that that it's not going to sound anything like that artist. And that often is what ends up happening, is I've got like a nostalgia I'm in many ways seeking to, whether it be like photographs that are in the vein of Guy Bourdain or... A film that's you know inspired heavily by you know Jodorowsky or Lynch or somebody along those lines, or you know a story that's similar to like days confused or whatever like these are the kinds of things that you know I can't say that we can just synthesize everything from scratch. there are definitely new stories being told all the time, but often. I'm looking for like this cross section of it's like this plus this plus this equals that. And it's not really a hundred percent of any of those things, but it's like the juxtaposition of three wildly different things and putting them together and then representing it in a way that makes it your unique and your own. Like I have often, I think built a career off trying to quote make house music and instead it's like, house influenced techno but not really house music and not really techno and it's somewhere in between and i think that that carries through to like our new projects with interval and artifactos de dolor is that we're saying we like cabaret voltaire and section 25 and joy division and liaisons down Druce, but it doesn't really sound like any single one of them but it sounds like all of them but none of them at the same time. There's not like a, I never try to make a track that's like, this is my version of that. Like I've heard other artists do that. And I just feel, I can hear it that it immediately sounds like they're just doing their cover of something, but with different words and different notation. But often it just sounds like a cover. And I, I want to like wear the influences, but keep in mind that, the influences are there and that this is not an attempt to basically recreate someone else's song or someone else's work or someone else's film or writing or design like that you can bring all of those influences together and have like the wider the reach, I think the more interesting the work because you can bring like many works with like fashion that I'm trying to bring like drama and I think surrealism and science fiction and kind of isolation and how do I bring all those things into a fashion film or for a client and it doesn't work for everybody. I'm not going to probably shoot a Gap or, you know, old Navy ad. I'm just not the right person for that, but I could find ways to maybe speak to some other brands that are like leaning in the direction that I am. And then also I see other people's work and I'm influenced by like the latest product campaign. And then I see how can I incorporate that into like the stuff I'm doing for our artists? Like maybe we're developing like a female singer or something and we try to package it in a way that's going to speak to those kinds of things, but recontextualize it in a different way by having this music be completely off brand for that brand but then it allows I think the work to become more interesting and intriguing because what you see is not what you hear always and vice versa I want you to be surprised and not just be like oh that's expected like you I think our artists like for interval like our record cover looks like what it sounds but what if we did something completely different instead of like dark and melancholy it's like bright colors at like mcdonald's playland or something like along those lines it it would change i think the way you visualize and listen to music and i think that those two things are very intertwined and connected and i do think that in the short term attention span that we have today that as much kind of visual cues you can do for music and music cues for visuals that they help enrich that experience and i you know, I'm basically devoted to spending the rest of my life like pursuing both sides of that coin. A lot of what you do and a lot of what you've talked about is
1: quite artistic, but how do you balance that with making money?
0: <laughs> uh, how do I? That's a question. Um, I think it's constantly like, an issue of like what's going to turn this into like profit or how am I going to pay the bills or rent or whatever off this? Um, I think that I don't want to borrow from we work the, you know, kind of global co-working location, but they have their tagline do what you love and, You know, I've been trying to do what I love since the beginning. It's just, it's not always been profitable. Sometimes like, you know, it's like asking an artist, when is the artist going to be like just an artist and not an artist that is actually doing these 10 other side things to make money to still be the artist. And I think that so much of what I do and generate is to help keep feeding it, whether it be building a synth module and selling it or doing branding for something that is related or doing a video piece that's related for like my, you know, label that it, they kind of keep pushing each thing. So the label like entertains people on one level and then the music like they hear it and then they're like, "Cool, this." It kind of adds to like what people know of me. So you, you know of me as this creative person, and you know about visuals, and you also know about music, and in many ways, that's like that is my brand. I am like a person that does too many things, and that's good. But I'm not like I'm not the best typographer or hand calligrapher that you would ever come to. But I've done it, and I can do it, and I'm interested in like pursuing that sometimes. So I think. I try to approach, I guess, each day and each week and month and year, like I'm going to push myself to where I haven't been the day before. And I think that I put that out there and that energy gets seen and, you know, whether it's documentation on Instagram or Facebook or any email that people get as like a recap of what I've done over the last couple of months, whether it be for the label or scale or whatever, that all that stuff kind of feeds back into, like, what people know me as. And then they see that, you know, he speaks about film and music and design. And often the work I get paid for is working in the that kind of, like, triangle or sphere of these three connected things that I think are very... Much intertwined. I don't know how many designers don't like obsessively listen to music. And, you know, same thing with directors or photographers. They're constantly listening to music and it's feeding like what they're doing. And when I'm doing all three, it's like I'm visualizing the music video sometimes when I'm making the music and I'm trying to get to this place visually when I'm composing a song and I have an idea in mind. And maybe it never gets filmed, but. I'm trying to create this place that there is a soundtrack for that I'm making. And I can't tell you where it is. I don't even know if it exists, but it definitely influences what I do. And I think that my real, my portfolio of work often shows that like, that's kind of the way my brain is wired and, you know, it doesn't work for every brand in the world. Like I I can't say I'm going to go design like, packaging for a big box store I don't think that my work is perfect for that but I do think that there are other people that are more like environmentally sustainably driven or like ethically driven whether it be in fashion or food or otherwise that I can find a way to help represent what they do and leave a mark that is uniquely my own and not like what looks like some other director or some other designer or some other musician. So, you know, I, it's definitely a challenge at times to like find the work that pays. It's not always the work that's paying. That's giving you the creative satisfaction. Sometimes you do have to do these things that help propel it. I think as a art director, you're kind of like challenged with it's art, but it's direction for somebody else. Few people get to just do whatever they want. They have to answer to an audience, or like the public, or a consumer, or a board, or you know, a film exec. How do I make all these people happy? How do I get you know people in the seats? How do I get people to download this or stream whatever? So you have to think about it, whether it's you know music or otherwise. And I think that that's constantly a challenge. Is you can't just sit around and be like self-serving you have to think about i guess the world you're in and not you know think about you yourself just being an island if people want to
1: um check out some of your work what are the best places they probably the internet yeah um (laughs) Um, scale.la
0: yeah and toddsigns.com and helix.al
1: thank you very much thanks
0: guys appreciate it thank you